Well, let's take our Bibles and find our way back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We are making some progress. We're going to cover four verses today. So I'm excited about what the Lord has for us in our study this morning. The title is Working for the Lord. Working for the Lord. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 8. Let me read those to put them in our our memory. Ephesians 6, 5, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good service, with good will rather, Render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing he each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. There are so many truths in the Bible, so many theological premises in the Bible that are are what we can only call counterintuitive, against logic, illogical. They don't make sense according to human thinking. So many points of theology and practice that simply do not make the cut for human wisdom and human logic. To study and understand God's Word means to come to grips with what Isaiah said in Isaiah 5, 8. For my thoughts, the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Think about some of these. We live to die, and we die to live. We gain by losing, we lose by gaining. And our best advancement of who we want to be known as is through humility. Well, today we'll be well served by remembering something else that seems counterintuitive at first thought. In fact, this is not one you have to teach young kids as counterintuitive. They they understand it well. Are you ready for it? Here's the the thought of God that goes against all human logic. Drum roll, ready? Work is good. Work is good. Work is a gift from God. Work is a blessing to mankind. And one of the most misunderstood things about the work of God and the work he gives men is the idea that work is is a result of the fall. Now, you know your Bibles very well. What is in Genesis chapter 3? The fall of man, right? But did you know that there was work before Genesis chapter 3? Back in Genesis 2.15, Adam has just been created In Genesis 2.15, Moses writes, Then the Lord God took the man, took Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and work it or keep it. So before there was sin in the world, Adam was put in the Garden to work it, to till it, to keep it. Furthermore, you might not be aware of this, but did you know that there will be work that you and I are called to do and given to do in heaven and in the kingdom to come? 
Isaiah speaks of that time after the judgment of the nations and the eschaton begins. In Isaiah 2, 4, he writes, And God will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And this is after the judgment. Listen, they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. This is talking about the time after the judgment when we enter into the kingdom. And he says, all of the implements of war will be recast into implements of work. There will be work to do in heaven. Now, we know from Genesis 3 that that work will not be stained by the sweat of the brow and by by the thorns and thistles that we have to wrestle with, but there will be work. It will be wonderful. It will be exciting. It will be attractive, redemptive. Work is intended by God to be a, a witness to the world. Work is intended by God to prevent us from being a burden on others. It's meant to take care of ourselves. You could create an entire theology. In fact, I've seen books written like this. Uh, Dr. Wayne Grudem has an excellent series of resources. But 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians provide almost a, 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 a capsulation of a theology of work. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your own hands just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Work so you don't have any needs. Work so you're not a burden. Work so you're a minister to outsiders. Work so you have enough to give. In an extended paragraph to the Thessalonians, Paul spoke of his own example of being a hard worker, as well as admonishing those who were not willing to work. This is pretty graphic, but let me read it to you. First Thess- excuse me, 2 Thessalonians Chapter 3, verse 16. Now we commend you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the tradition which you receive from us. You go, unruly life? What, what would it mean to stay away from brothers, stay away from sisters, stay away from those who lead an unruly life? What, what do you mean, unruly? For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined So an unruly life is an undisciplined life. An undisciplined manner among you, nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor, work, and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Paul showed up not as a celebrity pastor wanting the nicest hotel room and the the gift basket so that everyone was waiting on his needs. He says, no, I wanted to work to supply my own needs so that you didn't have to bear me as a burden. Not because we don't have the right to do this, he says, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. Ready for this? If anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. For we hear that some of you are living and leading an undisciplined life, not working, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Welfare, entitlement. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion, to eat their own bread, make their own ends meet, in other words. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Doing good is what? Doing work. 
If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. In other words, the church is to have prevailing influence on those who refuse to work, those who are lazy, those who are freeloaders, those who are not given to discipline. Solomon, the wisest man who ever wrote anything in the Bible, the wisest man to ever live except for Jesus, taught that work is from the hand of God. It is a gift of God. It's to bring enjoyment as well as compensation that brings joy. Ecclesiastes 2.4, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his work, his labor is good. This also I've seen that it is from the hand of God. Work is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? In other words, we attach our privilege of work to God's gift to give us a way to make ends meet. And we've watched, we've watched a society develop around us and around the idea that work is undesirable. And we are well served to do as little as possible and get paid for it. And if you can do that, that's a virtue. Entitlement expectations have become the air that we learn to breathe. A little footnote. You ever considered how good we have it? We have a thing called a weekend. Usually a Saturday and Sunday, we have two days, and depending on your job and what you do, there's usually two days that are given to be off. Do you realize that's double the biblical expectation? Sabbath was given with the idea that you worked for six days and you had one day off. We have it pretty simple and much easier than we might imagine. In the same vein, we learn that rest, by the way, Sabbath is good. This is, this is for another time and another sermon, which is usually what the preacher says when he runs out of things to say, right? No, this is for another time where you need to study what, what God's gift is in rest and in Sabbath and in recreation and in pulling the car over and enjoying some rest. Work is good, so is rest. Ecclesiastes 5.18. Here's what I've, been, I've seen to be good and fitting. To eat and drink and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun the few years of life which God has given him for this is his reward. Working and getting paid for that work and using that money for enjoyment is a reward of life. God intended that to be. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in all his work, his labor. This is the gift of God. Is your attitude toward your job like that, that it's God's gift to you? The Bible calls work good and a good gift from God. It clearly defines expectations for Christians, by the way, in the New Testament, who... Go to work. Who work? So, transitioning now in Ephesians. 
Paul's been describing the results and expectation of being controlled by, filled with the Spirit of God. If you are controlled by the Spirit of God, if you've given your life to Christ, if you're following His precepts, His principles, if you want to follow Him as your Lord and Savior, it has dimensional impact on your life. Everything is affected. Your whole mind is transformed by Christ. We pointed out when we started our series on the family that there are two areas that we spend most of our life in, two arenas we spend most of our life in, home and work. And truth be told, we spend more time at work than we do at home. So does it not make sense that when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, the two areas he addresses are life at home, wives and husbands and parents and children, and life at work, specifically employees and employers, slaves and masters, supervisors and underlings. He addresses those two. So after addressing husbands, wives, children, parents, he now turns to our day-to-day lives at work. This is an extremely practical section for all of us. So walking with God under the control of His Spirit has demonstrable consequences in the workplace. Let's say it this way. In your workplace, where you work. So let's dissect it together and we'll, we'll discover three ways to be faithful to a biblical work ethic. Did you know that the Bible has a work ethic, a series of expectations that God expects for you, for me to employ while we're employed Three ways to be faithful to a biblical work ethic. And I trust that as a believer in Christ, you want to be faithful to what God expects at work. Number one, honor and obey your boss whom you can see. Pretty simple. Honor and obey your boss whom you can see. Verse five, slave, stop right there. A word about slavery. We, we can't just skip over that verse, over that word rather. It would be a mistake, and please listen, it would be a serious mistake to equate 18th and 19th, even going back to the 17th century slavery in Great Britain and in America to the Roman slavery system. They're not the same thing. There are some parallels, but they're not the same. The Bible's recognition of slavery is not a condemnation or affirmation of the system. It just talks about it. In fact, in the Old Testament, there was slavery before the Roman Empire, so that every 49 years, there was a year of jubilee where slaves were set free. Basically, it was a way you indentured yourself because you had debts or or a lack of means, and you became a permanent employee of somebody. That was what slavery was in the Older Testament, and in, in uh, the Newer Testament, it was the haves and the have-nots, those who had land, those who had money, employed or indentured those who were slaves to work with them and to work for them. Some slaves were wonderful. It was a great place to work. Some slaves would earn their freedom and choose to stay because they had a, a humble and a, and a very kind master. Other times, though, slavery was brutal. It involved rapes and beatings. It involved selling children. It was a horrific system, all dependent on the master. 
And remember that Jesus himself often used slaves and masters in his parables. Now, that doesn't mean that the Lord was approving of earthly slavery or especially of the way cruel masters treated their servants, but he just said, this is the the world that you know. I'm going to use it as an illustration. In fact, Jesus uses that illustration and calls believers, we, we so sanitize it, we, we, we translate it servants. We think of this nice black suit with long tails and a, a white bow tie. It's, it's, the word is doulos, it's slaves. Jesus calls us his slaves, which is only good news if you know him as our loving master or Lord. Paul also employs slavery as an illustration for how believers are to be above reproach as examples in society. And slaves are to be obedient to their masters. We are to be obedient to the Lord Jesus, our master. And we'll look next week at how masters or bosses are to treat their own um, uh, slaves or employees. And that's in verse 9. So this week is about those who are working under someone. Next week is about leadership and those who are overseeing others. And I think a lot of us are in both categories, right? There are people to whom, or men and women to whom we report, and there are men and women who report to us. A lot of you have both. You have a sandwich above and a sandwich below. Now, the apostle is not commending the slavery system. He's just talking about it. He's not saying, I'm here to abolish the Roman system of slavery. He's saying, I'm here because we have slaves and we have masters, and you need to know how to honor Christ in your position. By the way, Paul does not does suggest that if a slave can obtain their freedom, they should. He also um, talks about a freed slave and making things right in the book of Philemon. But there are principles, this is important, that arise out of the slavery paradigm in the ancient Roman world that really the best way for us to understand that is an employer and an employee. That, that's, that's the simplest way to understand it and to grab the principles that apply in the Roman slavery system and also in our current system of employee and employer. We'll recognize and apply these in the next couple of studies. Now, notice first that Paul tells these slaves or employees, what's the first thing he says? Obey. Obey your boss. Obey the master. Look at what he says here in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 5. Slaves, slaves, he addresses them. He'll address masters down in verse 9. Slaves, be Obedient, obey those who are your masters according to the flesh. That's really interesting because he's going to talk about a master who is not according to the flesh, a master who's not of this world but is of heaven. That's the Lord Jesus. But he is making a distinction. You are called by, as a slave, to obey your master, obey what they tell you to do. In other words, for us, Do what your boss tells you to do. Be obedient to your boss. I know, I know, I hear it, I hear, I know what you're saying. Wait, Rick, what if my boss tells me to sin or to do something wrong? Of course, of course you don't do that. 
Otherwise, obey your boss. Being submissive and being obedient to the one you report to as a worker is essential to your testimony to the world and also your, also your obedience to the Lord himself. Paul tags this obedience with two descriptions of this obedience to your boss. With fear and trembling. And don't get too alarmed by that. Are we to walk into our boss tomorrow and say, Dear sir, and we're shaking, I just want you to know I will obey anything and everything you tell me to do. That's not what he's talking about. With fear and trembling. David uses these same two words in Psalm 2 about our worship and service to the Lord. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Same two concepts. And Paul told the Philippians that these two attitudes are to accompany the working out of our salvation. Same two words are used. So then, my beloved, Philippians 2.12, just as you've obeyed also in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation before the Lord with fear and trembling. Two exact words. So we know that these attitudes do not mean terrifying dread and terror. Clint Arnold is helpful when he says, it's the idea of deep respect and reverence. Fear. Notice that Paul, <laughs> there's no footnote, there's no writer here. Paul does not say this. Slaves, be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh if they're competent and they have wonderful character. Does it? Notice Paul says nothing of the worthiness of the master or the boss to be respected and honored or obeyed. He says nothing of their competence and nothing of their character. The respect that's due them is because of their position, not character or competence. Now, I'm, I've worked enough jobs. I, I, I know what it's like. You're working. Someone's doing something. Uh, your boss maybe is doing something that you think, ah, oh, that's... I was going to say that's an ineffective way of doing that, but you're probably saying that's stupid. That's, that's wrong. That's, that, that, that's, I have a better way. And then you start this fantasy. Someday when I'm king. Someday when I'm boss. Sometime when I... Look, having ideas and appealing, that's a wonderful part of your relationship with your boss. But it still doesn't give you the out not to obey them, not to do what they say. Then Paul goes on, if that's not enough, to our hearts. Look at verse 5 again. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, this side of heaven, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart. He uses the same phrase in Colossians 3.22, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, when you're obeying your masters. Paul's speaking here about our motivation. Sincerity points to selflessness. It means we don't work with any kind of manipulation or deceiving or scheming or lying or especially toward or about the person we report to. Is it, 
within the realm of possibility that you may have in the past entertained criticism of the boss or the bosses, a man or woman, and fostered that among coworkers, Paul is saying that's not the sincerity of your heart. You obey them with purity, with sincerity, with selflessness. Of course, if they instruct you on something wrong to do or sinful to do, you would resist that. You would appeal to that. But he's saying you, you do it from the heart. Sincerity. You're a good, obedient employee. That's the bottom line. Now, if you're listening to that, you're, you're just kind of scratching your head with me and saying, Paul, that's, that, that's a big lift. That's a heavy lift. How, how do you do that? Well, you find that out in the second way to be a faithful biblical, to a biblical work ethic. Honor and obey your boss whom you can see. Number two, honor and obey your master who is in heaven. Or said another way, honor and obey your master who you can't see. There are invisible realities happening at work that nobody may be aware of but you, but they are real nonetheless. Honor and obey your master who is in heaven. Look at the last phrase in verse 5. The first phrase, be obedient to those who are your masters. Look at the last phrase, as to Christ. This is a big deal. Obey your boss like you would obey your Savior. It's that serious. It's that simple. It's the key to the passage. Slaves should obey their masters as they would obey Christ. Employees should obey our bosses as we would obey Christ. Remember what Paul told the Colossians to do in Colossians 3.17? Whatever you do, whatever you do, comprehensively, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You say, well, what, is, what does it mean to obey my boss as I obey Christ? Well, what does that really mean? He tells us, next phrase, verse 6, not by way of eye service. Now, a little, little fun in Greek. This word eye service is a, you ready for this? Hapax lagamana. That's a big fancy way of saying it's the only place in the New Testament this word is used. And most scholars agree Paul probably made up this word. Eye service or serving the eyes or being noticed. How do you know that's what he means? Look at the next phrase. As men pleasers. Here is the secret sauce. Not by way of eye service. In other words, the word means not working to be seen by others to get your reward by being noticed. Do you ever find that here's where he's going with the sincerity of the heart being consistent? Do you ever find that you act differently when your boss is in the room than you might if he's not or she's not? Paul is fighting against that notion. Eye service, just serving the eye, pleasing the eye of the one who would see you. It's a contrast Paul wants to see, us to see. Our obedience to the one, Christ, whom we cannot see is to be our focus instead of our earthly bosses whom we can see. 
He's saying, you work, you do your work, you do your employment for the eyes of Christ's ever-constant gaze not to be noticed by the eyes of the boss. Now, this is obviously important when there are no eyes watching us because Christ is always watching us. I mean, look back at the verse. Not as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. You're a slave, not of your human master only. You're a slave also of Christ. He is our, we call him the Lord Jesus Christ. Lords have slaves. We are slaves. In other words, we are slaves indeed of the ultimate Lord, the great and gentle master, Jesus Christ. We belong to him. We are owned by him. So here's the important question. Do we act differently? Do we work differently when you know the boss is watching differently than when you know the Lord is watching? Because, spoiler alert, he always is. There's a TV program that's very popular right now called Undercover Boss. You've seen this? The boss of a company kind of disguises himself and goes in as a, as a worker or as a customer to see how his employees would respond to him when there's situations and problems. It's actually a, a really interesting premise. Would you act differently if you knew the boss was there Versus he wasn't there or she wasn't there. Would you be different? And Paul is going right after that and saying, no, no, you should be the same all the time. Our text tells us there is an omniscient boss in heaven who is always there, always watching, and we should always be aware of him. So are you. Do you believe in the omnipresence and omniscience of God? Do you believe Jesus when he said, I will never, what? Leave you, even at work. I'll forsake you, even at work. I will not abandon you as an orphan, even at work. He's always there. And he always cares. Ah, it goes further. Look at the next phrase. Doing the will of God from the heart. Do you see what he's doing there? Obey your masters who tell you what to do in the earth. Obey your employers. And that is actually obeying the will, the intention, the desire of God. What's God's will for your life? Obey your boss. Be a good employee. Be faithful. Be a hard worker doing the will of God, and then he goes back to the inside from the heart. That's the sincerity of the heart he just talked about. This is not just eye service. This is not just external. You really want to please them. You really want to obey them and honor them. You really want to work well for their objectives. Don't miss it. Paul is saying that obeying Christ through obeying our earthly bosses means that we are doing God's will, God's intention, God's desire. And this following and obedience should be from the heart. You could translate that wholeheartedly. Not I'm standing up on the outside, but I'm sitting down inside. 
These believing slaves were to be compliant to their masters with a good attitude, a good mood. They weren't Eeyores at work. They had a good attitude. They were happy, wholeheartedly, sincerely in what they did. Are you that kind of employee? Because when you obey your boss on earth, you're obeying your master in heaven. Number three, reset your appraisal of payment, of remuneration, of compensation, of recompense. Verse 7, with good will, he goes back to the heart, your will, your mood, your attitude, with good will, render service, with good will, obey. But render service is parallel to obey in verse 5. As, and he goes back and summarizes it, as to the Lord, he just told us that and he tells us again. With good will, obey, render service, as to the Lord and not to man. That's all been said already. He's reviewing and summarizing. This is talking about our mood, our attitude. With good will. Can we talk about this with our kids? With a happy heart. Obey with a happy heart. That's what it is. I mean, you, you've been around these folks at work. Hopefully, you've not been this person at work where you're told to do something and you do it begrudgingly, unwillingly, gossiping, frustrated. What's your mood at work? Do you have a good attitude? What do your coworkers think about your attitude toward your work, toward your job? What, do your, what does your supervisor think of your attitude toward your job? What does your supervisor think of your attitude toward your coworkers? What do they think of your attitude toward them personally? Do you have goodwill when you render service? When you submit in obedience and honor, do you have a good attitude? Listen, attitudes are contagious. What are you passing around? Paul in verse 7 emphasizes that our work is actually done not to our employers on earth, but he goes back and summarizes it, but as to the Lord. I had a friend who taught me something that I was kind of surprised by. He worked at a summer camp one summer, and uh, his pastor, who's a friend of mine, his name's Chris, and he was, they were given assignments out at the first of the year um, to different responsibilities that each of the, the volunteers, the workers actually had had that week. They were working for pay. The volunteers had that, that week and that summer. And um, they were passing out the assignments, and he wanted to be the one who was on stage giving announcements, do, introducing the speakers up front, noticed, appreciated. And it came time for his assignment and you know what his, his job was for the summer? Clean the bathrooms and scrub the toilets. And I remember him telling, telling me, just saying, I had the worst attitude you could imagine. 
doesn't he know my gifts, my skills, my, my uh, obvious appreciation that would happen of me if I were up, front of, up in front of people? And why, why this? And he had a pretty bad attitude going into this job. And then he said, the Lord, he began to pray, and the Lord completely transformed his life, transformed his perspective where he said, if I can make this bathroom clean, then even visiting the toilet can glorify God if I do it well. He said, then I got excited about my work. And then I realized that when I was scrubbing toilets, my Lord Jesus was in the room approving of such service. That's well done. That's well thought through. Listen, your attitude at work, towards your work, towards your direct report, if it's lousy, if your work is shoddy, you're going to lose spiritual influence and be a terrible testimony for the gospel that you believe. You say, that's all fine and dandy. What do I get out of it? Verse 8. Knowing, oh, adontes, one of my favorite Greek words, knowing you know something that's not obvious to the human eye. You have a theology that's real and behind the scenes, that's behind the curtain of providence that God and you see, but not everyone else does. Knowing you know something, you know the secret, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, that's a slave, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. This introduces us to divine remuneration, divine recompense, divine compensation, divine payment. Verse 8 begins with that critical word knowing. Do you know this? Do you believe this? Will you believe this? That our service to the Lord in the workplace is predicated on something we know and insight we have as spirit-filled believers? What do we know? that will help us be faithful to our obedience, to our bosses. What do we know? Simple. Here's what we know. You ready for this? We know that the Lord knows. We know that the Lord sees. We believe that the Lord cares about all of our efforts to please Him. And we know He will pay us more than money. You say, when will that be? Well, Colossians 3, 24 says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Our primary reward will be given in heaven. This is called the ultimate form of delayed gratification. <laughs> heaven is delayed gratification though, isn't it? By nature it is. knowing that there is a spiritual world of realities that God blesses those who bless Him and obey Him, knowing that there are things happening beyond our senses that God will repay is the proverbial key to the Christian at work. Are you developing a spiritual awareness of God's workings, especially about your work? Do you have a theology of work? You actually do. It's either a biblical one or, or not. Do you think about work intentionally? Do you pray about work on the way? If you have a difficult day, do you pray that the Lord will glorify himself and give you the ability to obey what you have to obey with a happy heart, wholeheartedly? 
Parents, parents, can I, can I ask you, are you instilling into your children the basics of a Christian work ethic? Can I step on some air hoses? Do they get an allowance just because they have your last name? Probably not the best idea. Are you teaching them if you do work, then you get remuneration, and then you get to buy things? Are you teaching your kids the principles that work reaps rewards and laziness causes harm and pain and loss? You say, well, my kids get an allowance. I mean, I mean uh, what for? Well, kids shouldn't be paid because you give them a place to sleep and things to eat. Think about that. They get paid because you do that. So I'm just encouraging you that create a little capitalistic system in your, in your world that is built on the, in your home, that's built on the principle that God has said that Work is a good thing, and if you respond well to work, you get remunerated for that. We had a, we had a list of things on the refrigerator that when the boys were young. If you, do, if you want this much money, here's how much you can get if you'll do these extra tasks. Not the normal, make your bed and clean your room, wash the dishes. This was extra things they could do to work for to make money. We had to keep increasing that list <laughs> because it got checked off pretty fast. The Lord will pay us for our service. Colossians tells us that that will be an inheritance in heaven. It will be worth, it will be worth honoring the Lord and how we obey our earthly bosses. Now, before we finish this section, I think it's important to recognize that there are two extremes that might tempt us regarding work. And I have seen both of these extremes in our own church body. I think I've probably had both of these extremes in my own work and my own efforts before. The first extreme is, the first temptation rather, is temptation to laziness. Just not working well, not working hard. Laziness at work always comes from forgetting that our work is to be done for the Lord and that He is always watching. You ready for this? Laziness is stealing when you're lazy at work, you're stealing time from your employer and doing things that are not intended by him or her. It's theft. It's stealing time and being paid for something you're not doing or doing to the best of your ability. And the question of our text is this, how does the omniscient presence of God impact that work? So there's laziness, that's neglect. The other side, though, is the temptation to overwork. We have many people who are tempted by this. We've come to call this workaholism. You heard that? This is putting so much time and effort into our work that we neglect other responsibilities and other relationships. They suffer. The idea that we need rest and recreation is baked into the creation account and codified in the Sabbath observance. So we need to make sure that we're not working too much to neglect relationships and responsibilities. Some need to learn to take a break and take some time off. 
Others need to learn to get to work and be faithful where they are. Apply whichever principle the Lord would tap you on your spiritual shoulder about. Quick, 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 quick aside. But what, Rick? Peter. What if I have an unreasonable boss? An ogre. A mean dude. A mean lady. Someone who is incompetent or their character is not followable. What do I do then? Well, it's interesting you said that. Because Peter says in 1 Peter 2.8, Servants, slaves, be submissives to your masters with all respect. Same principle. Listen, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also be submissive to those who are unreasonable. Why? For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, sometimes, sometimes employees suffer unjustly under unreasonable bosses. What credit is there if when you, were, you sin, when you were harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. You don't sin, but sometimes God has you bearing up under unreasonable bosses for his glory. And that might not make sense until the inheritance we receive in the last day. So we work so that we're not a burden to others. 2, Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians 3a says, we work so we can care for our family. 1 Peter 5 says, and we have work so that we can make money to help those in need. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, By the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove in vain, but I worked, I labored, even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that works in me. When you are working hard, you are demonstrating the outflowing of God's grace in your life. What a blessing. Someday in the future, and maybe we'll touch on this next week, we need to understand too that working expresses the image of God. We're able to be industrious, to create things. We're able to be creative and do things with excellence. Humans, because we bear the image of God, are the only things that do work with creativity and with excellence. Animals don't do that. What kind of worker are you? What would your boss say? You can submit yourself even this afternoon to a job review with the Lord and ask, how am I doing, Lord? And this is Sunday. Tomorrow, most of you go to work. How about a reset? How about a reset? And work for the Lord. Father, give us the grace that we need, the grace that we want, to be industrious and creative, to be obedient, to render with goodwill the service that you've called us to, to work 
for you as we work for our earthly bosses. Heavy things in this passage, but you've promised that your burden is light and that we can bear it because you bear it with us. Convict us where we need convicting, correct us where correction needs to happen, and even prepare those who are bosses that you will address next week to be more faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.